All right, well, welcome back to A Step Further. We are actually in part two of Rebuilding the Temple this week. So last week we talked about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The earth was made through him and for him, Jesus. And so if the, the earth was made through him and for him, that Jesus himself is God. We talked about how the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And uh, he was the, the light that gave life to all men, and it says that the darkness could not comprehend that light. And then you jump down to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. So we talked about how the Word was Jesus, and he is, the again, the, the image of the invisible God. He is one with the Father. But then in other scriptures, you know, he talks about how we are branches to his vine. So he is the vine, we are the branches. He says, apart from you, you can do nothing, which means we, in effect, are uh, a part of who Jesus is. We are, we are his body. And so if we are his body, if he is the temple of God and we are a part of his body, and we are one with him. That means we are, the Bible calls us pillars in that temple. So we are pillars in that temple. And I think that that reference is in Revelation. When he's in one of the letters to the churches, he calls us pillars in the temple of God. So we have to understand that if we are uh, the temple of God, and, and if we have a dwelling place for the Lord, and we do, you guys, so when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when when we accepted uh, the love that he gave us when we accepted the truth uh, about who he is and what he has done for us. It, the Bible says that that we can receive the Holy Spirit. We can receive the, the breath of God. And so receiving the Holy Spirit is, is receiving God, you know, and having the Holy Spirit in us, receiving that Spirit, we become part of the temple of God. And so I brought that up last week because I think that we kind of have maybe a skewed idea of some things that are coming, and I want to make sure that we put this into perspective a little bit. And listen, this is my belief, so I'm going to challenge your faith. If you, if you have studied in times and, and there are things that are out there that, you know, the teachings that are out there from the evangelicals, from scholars that you've believed, I might be challenging you today. I don't I'm not asking you to believe me, but what I am asking you to do is to dive into scripture. I'm asking you to to kind of research it for yourself, but I'm also asking you to kind of keep an open mind because if we don't if we're if we're so ingrained in a doctrine over here that's not really a doctrine, it's an interpretation that that we've been teaching. If we're so ingrained in that, uh we might miss the boat over here or what with the work that God is doing, but also, you know, we're not really truly guarding ourselves and the devil's for, for a lack of better word is he's getting in the back door and he's doing some deception in our minds and in our hearts. So it's always good to, to test the spirit. It's always good to open our hearts and our minds to maybe what God is wanting to do or show us in scripture that we're missing and, Hopefully this is one of those things. Hopefully this will at least help you to to kind of be more prepared and to to be more willing to sort of guard that garden. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. I do have a lot of scripture this week, so I'm hoping to put some of that into the um, description of the podcast. So whatever format or platform rather that you're listening to this podcast on, 
check the description if you want, if you want to dive further into those scriptures that I'm I'm diving into today. Uh, I definitely encourage you to do so. Again, don't take my word for it. The only teacher that you are meant to have is Jesus. He says, don't call anybody else this, but you, I am your teacher. And so the Holy Spirit really is our teacher. And if he doesn't speak to you, you know, the teaching that I have, I hope that he speaks to you in, in another revelation just by listening to this. I hope that, that you test the Spirit, and I hope that you take everything to the Lord. Pray about it and, and see what comes about it. So I want to take you first to Second Thessalonians, and we're dive into chapter 2. And this is in regards to the man of lawlessness. Now, in First Thessalonians, I want to say this. He's already told them, I believe it's in uh, chapter, let's see. He talks about the day of the Lord. He talks about those who died in Christ um, in chapter 4. So in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as to the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him Bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So this is going to be a, a, a big, huge entrance of Jesus. Um, it says, and when that happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him, with, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So he's already told them in a previous letter about what the coming of the Lord is going to be like and what that looks like and, and the fact that there are those who have died um, and, and because at that time they didn't understand that there will be a resurrection. So those who have died, Jesus is going to raise them from the dead. And, and then it says those who are alive will, will um, follow, and they'll all, we'll all meet together in the air. Anyway, Second Thessalonians now, this is the second letter, and he says, Now we request you, brethren, this is verse 1 in chapter 2, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus, the one that we talked about in the first letter, and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, we understand this to be Antichrist. So you've, you've probably heard that there is an Antichrist that's coming, you know, a man who, who seeks to essentially be Messiah, uh, but he is the, the mirrored opposite of who Jesus is. So he offers things that Jesus isn't going to offer, and he offers it from a worldly sense, whereas Jesus offers it from a, a spiritual sense, uh, as something that the world can't comprehend. We'll just put it that way. And kind of like 
I guess my in saying that my example is peace. He says peace I give you, but not peace as the world gives because that kind of peace isn't. You know, he's saying that that's not the kind of peace that I have for you. I have a different kind of peace for you. This is a peace that is it surpasses all understanding. Um, you can find joy in the trials and the tribulations, and you think well, as in the world we think well, if we have peace, then we don't have trials or tribulations. And Jesus is going no. You know, you've got the trials and you've got the tribulations and all that, but you can find peace in the midst of those things. So, because we're always going to have trials, we're always going to have tribulations. It's not going to be life is peaches and cream. It's going to be that you know we've gonna we're going to have battles that we face in life and, and circumstances and situations, things we can't understand. But even in the midst of those, we can find peace. Now, that's kind of going to be a big peace. I mean, that's a, that's a big, bold statement there that you can offer me peace in the midst of trials and tribulations. Um, that's, that's hard to comprehend. And so that's why Jesus said it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Okay. So, but this Messiah, this false Messiah is somebody who's a mirrored opposite. He, he kind of, it's like instant gratification Messiah. It's like McDonald's Messiah versus, you know, health food store Messiah. I mean, I don't, that's a bad interpretation, but I'm just saying, you know, there's this this instant sort of gratification that we we're after, and this guy's going to seek to offer it. They call it, you know, false signs and wonders, and we'll get to that in a minute too. But it says that he exalts himself above every so-called God or worship or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. So he exalts himself so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. In other words, he calls himself God so that he can take his seat in the temple of God. Well, what's the temple of God? Now, a lot of people take this scripture and we think, well, there has to be a building then that's built, a temple of God that's built. And it's temple of God as in temple of Yahweh or temple of Jehovah, whatever you want to call him. But so we think now, okay, well, now there needs to be a, a new temple built in Jerusalem, you know, the same where the other two temples were. There needs to be a third temple built in Jerusalem for this guy to inhabit it because he's calling himself God, so he needs to take his, his seat in the temple of God. But what if I said to you that really what this is talking about is what the true temple of God is? So if, if, if we are pillars in the temple of God, and, and we are here on this earth, and, the, and there's a man coming that, that is coming to make himself known as God, and even though he's not God, he's going to, to, to exalt himself as God, and he wants so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. What if that means not literally taking his seat in a physical temple, but actually exalting himself as God within the, the what we are calling the temple of God, and that is us. What the Bible calls the temple of God is that we are pillars in the temple of God, so the body of Christ. What if this man seeks to enter into the Christian body of Christ and call himself God? And you say, well, how would that be possible if we're Christian? Let's go back a couple verses again. It says, let no one in any way deceive you, verse 3, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. You know what an apostasy is? Apostasy, it's, it's the Greek word is apostasia. It means a falling away, which entails that at some point, 
there was an uh, there was a faith but there's this sort of mass, mass exodus from the faith it's like this falling away where a lot of quote Christians are are going to fall away quote believers are going to fall away from the church and you think well how does that happen well let me take you to second timothy and I'm going to chapter 3 and we'll start with verse 1 it says, well, realize this, then in the last days, and you can, this is, I'm bringing this up because you can see this happening. Uh, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be boastful, they'll be arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and, and here's the, those are all kind of, this is cause and effect here. Those are all kind of the effect of, or the result of, and in verse 5 it says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. In other words, you know, there are a lot of people who call themselves believers and, and Christian who go to church every Sunday or will go to even go to church on Christmas and Easter or whatever, you know, those the important days. Um, but every day is important to God. And the fact that you're a believer when you, when you surrender yourself to Christ, that's a completely different story than just saying, well, I go to church every Sunday and I know God, I know who Jesus is, and I believe that Jesus is real. But is Jesus Lord of my life? That's the question. Because if he's not Lord of my life, then I'm denying a power there. Even more so, I'm denying the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that the only, and I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, but Jesus said that the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what would blasphemy of the Holy Spirit be? And there's, there's different theories about that too. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit I mean, I almost wonder if it's not saying that it's denying really the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the power, uh, the breath of God. And, and look, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and then he says, and God said. So when God said, it said the Spirit was hovering over the waters. So when God said, it's like everything came into motion. Well, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about last week, we talked about science uh, versus religion and can they compromise or can they find a compromise? Can they find a, can you find a healthy balance between the two and can they coexist? You know, does, does science and religion coexist? And it, the thing about science is this for me, it, whether the earth is 6,000 years old or whether it's 600 billion years old, I, you know, who knows? But regardless of all of that, one thing that science can't answer is the question, why? So you go back and you go, well, this happened. Well, then why did that happen? Well, because this happened. Well, why did that happen? Well, because this happened. So why did that happen? You know, and, and you can go back far enough and, and say whether it's true or not, we don't know because we weren't there. Um, there's just theories. But you can go back and say, well, it all 
goes back to two molecules or two atoms or whatever that collided and created this whole, what we now know as Earth and the universe and everything else. Okay, but why? Because if I look around and I see the intelligence and I see how humanity is this intricate being, you know, we have feelings and emotions and intellect and and we have the ability to take those feelings and emotions and intellect and and all these things and, and grow within them. So so I refuse to believe that this was just by some happenstance, you know, like it just happened or it just is kind of like random. I, it's not random to me. Uh, something so intricate cannot be random and, and something almost it's, it's not almost it's, it is perfect in it's, in it's rawest form. It's, it's perfect. Now we've taken that perfection and, and diluted it. We've, we've destroyed that perfection because We've allowed evil into the world. We do bad things. Well, when when something's broken, you know, because bad things happen, when something's broken, well, then there has to be a death that occurs. That's why we can't live forever here on this earth. You know, there, there, there has to be a death, at least until Jesus comes back. Um, that being said, you know, there is a there's a, a passing from, from this body of death into a a new body of life. And that's what Paul really was talking, excuse me, was talking about in the first Thessalonians letter. But now he goes back into the, the second Thessalonians and he says, you know, now we're talking about that. Don't, don't be deceived. It's not going to happen until this apostasy happens first. Well, I, again, I, I refuse to believe that, that we are here as a mistake like we're here because there is a higher being, and I believe it's God. Um, I call him Jehovah Yahweh, um, but I also know that Jesus is the image of God, and through him the earth was created. So I call him Jesus too. But with that in mind, you know, I, I refuse to believe that a higher being did not create this, or that there wasn't some, there wasn't purpose behind it. And so I do believe that that this earth was created by Jesus. I do believe all of that had to be created by a higher power, something with intellect, something with intelligence. And we are here for a purpose. We're not a mistake. I don't care what your story is. We're not a mistake. We're here for a reason. So to deny the power behind that, to deny the intellect behind that, um, we we hold form to this hold true to this form of godliness that is out there, but we're denying that power. Well, if we're denying that power, then we're not really even godly. And so you can see where if there's nothing holding us to godliness, remember Jesus said, "I'm the vine; you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing." If there's nothing holding us to that godliness, well, then what's going to happen? We're going to fall away. So. We go back to Second Thessalonians, and he says the apostasy happen, has to happen first, and then this man of lawlessness is revealed. Well, you say, well, why why does the the falling away have to happen first, uh, and then and then the man of lawlessness? Wouldn't the man of lawlessness cause this this falling away? Well, jump down to verse seven. Well, let's jump down to verse five, and it says. 
Do not do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him, the man of lawlessness, you know what restrains him, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness, verse seven, is already at work. So we can pause there. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So what Paul was saying is it's already happening. And if you're not holding true to that godliness, it, there's there's going to be a falling away. You know, if you're not holding true to the things that you know, if you're not holding true to your faith, and, and if you're not, you know, and we need to be that. We need to have that faith. We need to have that godliness. We need to have that love, that relationship with God. When you realize that this is not about religion, and it's about a relationship with with a living God, a living, breathing God, and that, and that breath is the Holy Spirit, that when when you realize that you are in a relationship with that God, He loves you, and He wants you to love Him in return, that that's something far greater than, than religion. Religion is holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. So that lawlessness is already at work, and one day... You know, and it's already happening now. You're seeing so much falling away. And then at some point, the man of lawlessness is is going to be revealed. I said last week, I didn't think we were far off. And I say that because, I again, you look around, that falling away is already happening. So he seeks to come in and he seeks to uh, exalt himself and to take his seat in the temple of God. Jesus said that he would try to deceive the elect if possible. So... When I started studying end times, this is these are things I got to tell you. When I started studying end times, um, these are things I've always questioned. Like, what does this look like? What is the what does the man of lawlessness look like? What does Antichrist look like? And when you dive into Revelation, it's it's very symbolic. Um, like, I don't believe that there are literal beasts and dragons that come out of the sea or the earth. It, 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 they're symbolic. They're prophetic symbols of something to come. And so you dive into things like Revelation 13. It talks about the beast from the sea. It talks about the beast from the earth. And you're going, what does this mean? What does this look like? Well, everybody has those teachings out there, and everybody believes what they're wanting to believe about history and about um, what these mean, what what all that means, and, and tribulation and all that stuff. And so... What does it mean? And for many years, I just, I'm like, Lord, I can't accept the teachings that are out there. I just, I, for some reason, I'm struggling with it, and I need you to help me. And finally, I mean, we're talking years of praying here. Finally, he said, so, Jason, if you want to understand the end, you have to understand the beginning. So I want to take you to Revelation. Um, I want to take you there first. And I want to show you what exactly God was saying to me. Um, it says in, in chapter 13 and verse 11, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up from the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, well, let me just go on. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. You can read about that in earlier part of 13. Uh, 
He performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because the signs which was given to him to perform. So we're going to hold on to that for a minute. Uh, In the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. It was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. He provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here, now he says this, it won't catch this too. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Okay, so when you go back, um, first of all, this is going to be the, this is the man of lawlessness that we're talking about in 2 Thessalonians, and I'm going to show you that here in a little bit. But first, it says he has two horns like a lamb. So he looks very... Um, like an angel of light kind of person. Like he, he, he looks holy. He looks holy. And it says, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, if you're not careful, you can think, well, that's polar opposite. Uh, he looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. So if that's the case, we ought to really be able to pick him out, right? Like he, he might look holy, but he really has some, some very harsh things to say. Because you think about a dragon, you don't think about anything that's pure and holy and beautiful and, and whatever. You think of scary things. I mean, unless you're a dragon fan, even if you're a dragon fan, you still think, you know, dragons aren't exactly pretty. They're 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 scary. They can be there there's there's a level of fear behind it. And so if you're not careful, you think, well, now we're talking polar opposites. Two horns like a lamb, and it says, and you spoke like a dragon. But when you dive into that word for dragon, it says uh, it's dracon, which is Greek, and it says it's a fabulous kind of serpent. I have not known dragons to be fabulous. <laughs> Again, I'm thinking, so what are we talking about here? This is where God says, now you need to go back to the beginning and understand well, where have I heard a fabulous serpent before? Back in Genesis. And where was it? It was in the Garden of Eden. And it says, he, he uh, you know, Eve, they were, they were in the garden, they were doing their thing, and Eve came across the serpent. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so the, the word serpent in hebrew is nefesh and it means it means somebody who's wise okay um nefesh means snake but it also there's a there's a deeper meaning to it and it's somebody who has who who's wise so the bible says the serpent was more crafty well wisdom isn't true wisdom godly wisdom is something completely different than earthly wisdom. But there is a type of wisdom out there that isn't necessarily good wisdom. It's a type of wisdom meaning craftiness, you know, sly, or I can take words and I can formulate um, thoughts, or I can make you think things that maybe not necessarily true, but maybe are half true. But I can take and I can spin 
different thoughts and ideas to create my own thought and my own idea. And so it says the, the serpent was more crafty. And so he came in, he said, well, can you, did God really say you can't eat from this tree? What was it? You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. This is what he did. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So now he's getting Eve to think. And he goes, so she goes, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, yeah, we can eat. But the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, no, you, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So the serpent says to the woman, you surely will not die. In other words, he got her to think, well, I can eat from any other tree from this garden and not die. Why would I be able to not eat fruit from this tree? So now she's thinking a little bit. So you surely are not going to die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. So he's just telling you that you're going to die so you don't eat from this tree. Look, you can eat from any other tree. So the the serpent is is crafty. He's he's creating this false notion. You can eat from any other tree. What you why do you think that God why do you think you would die if you ate from this tree? You're going to die. God just don't want you to be like him. Well, she doesn't know the things that God knows, okay? And the serpent knows some things that God knows. Not all, but he knows some things that God knows, and he knows a little bit of the plan. So he's there to try to destroy this plan that God has. And so she thinks about it, and yeah, okay. So that's why the fruit became a little bit more enticing to her, because, well, geez, if I can eat all these other fruits, I'm not going to die. I can definitely eat it. And dang, I can have this knowledge of good and evil. And Adam's there, it's like, I don't know, I don't know. And he's like, okay. So they both do it. Adam was called to guard the garden. He was called to tend to the garden. He was called to guard the garden also. What would he guard the garden from? I mean, he didn't know evil. But Adam was called to guard the garden from outside influence. We talked about this in the in the message in the morning. He's called to guard the garden from outside influence. There's a there's a whole influence outside the garden. He don't know about. He's in the garden. He's in the dwelling place of the Lord. And God is dwelling with him. So the serpent seeks to enter into the garden, into the dwelling place of God, where God dwells with man, and destroy that relationship there. So now go back to 2 Thessalonians again, and what does he seek to do? It says he comes in and he exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, in the temple of Jehovah, displaying himself as being God. Well, why would he do that? Well, what does that look like then? It looks like he's trying to get into the dwelling place of God with man and destroy that relationship. That's that's his goal. But catch this. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it does so until he's taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who's coming, meaning the man of lawlessness, is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. 
So it's the people who hold to a form of godliness who deny its power. And that power really is the love and the relationship between God and man. It says, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. In other words, look, there has to be a falling away because people who are, they claim to be believers, okay, but they're offering these false ideas about who God is and, and all that. That has to be taken away. The Bible says that God will remove the, the stumbling blocks, the evil. He talks about that. I will, I will remove the evil from, from out of the way. And, and there's not going to be any more excuse. You're either for God or you're against God. So if and you, either, you either come to a point where, and again, if you're out there and you're on the fence, this isn't trying to push you one way or the other. This is me telling you, um, I, I think that there's going to come a time where if God has called you into his presence, I know he, that you're going to, I know that you're going to experience that love and you're going to see it. Um, you might be questioning things right now and you don't know. Um, I would, I would rather offer you truth. The truth is that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. For those who don't want that relationship with God, but say that they are believers. Yeah, I know God. God's my, my best friend. It's kind of like, calling somebody your friend who really isn't your friend. But you call them your friend, and and that person you call your friend is going, they're not my friend. I mean, have you ever had that? Somebody who calls you a friend, it, like they call you like, oh, yeah, we're good friends. And you're going, I don't, I don't even like them. You know, I, they're not my friend. And you think, why are they saying this, Right? Well, that's the thing. God wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to do that through Jesus. If, if you want to deny that relationship, if you don't want that relationship, but you want to call yourself a believer, well, then please understand that you're, you're part of that crowd who you hold to a form of godliness, but you deny his power. And one day, if, because there's nothing holding you to that relationship, it's, there needs to be a falling away. And it's because he wants to have a relationship and his body, he's calling his body his bride. And I don't know about you, but if I'm to have a bride, and, and, I, and I want a bride, but I, I want there to be a relationship there. I don't want to just go, yeah, I, I don't want my bride to go, yeah, I have his last name, but, but you know, it's not like we're close. It's not like we have a good, solid relationship. What kind of marriage would that be? Like, I don't want that. And, and Jesus doesn't want that. God doesn't want that either. He calls his people his bride. Well, he wants to have that relationship. I think that's very valid, don't you? And so if we're not there, then we're falling away. So this is how I know that this is the man of lawlessness that's talked about in Revelation 13. It says that this is the one who's coming in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love. So he's coming to deceive people with false signs and wonders. Remember, Revelation 13 says this. And um goes back to, let's see. He causes all, let's say, he deceives, rather, those who dwell on the earth because the signs which was given to him to perform. So even, he says he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. 
Um, I wanted to dive in a little bit to the Mark of the Beast. I think that might be a teaching all of its own um, because there's some things there that I want to talk about. And, and it has to deal with going back to the beginning. But I might save that teaching for another time. Um, but I just wanted to bring forth this idea that, you know, there is a falling away. You see people who are kind of falsely teaching things about God. And because they have this form of godliness, they're not really holding to its true power. And because we're not really hooked up with in a relationship with God, these false teachings are causing many people to fall away. And you're seeing that apostasy take place. You're seeing people who are just, just going, nah. They, they once believed in God, but now they're going, nah, nah, it's not real. And so there are things that are happening. Listen, even if there are people falling away right now they, uh, who are the called, I believe that God will make sure that those, I will believe that God would chase the one, that one sheep. He's, he'll leave the 99 to chase the one sheep. I do believe that people, you know, are prodigals. Um, read the story of the prodigal son. I do believe that there are people out there who who take their inheritance and they run. Um, so I'm not beyond that. Like I'm not saying that it's hopeless. If you've fallen away now, even if you, I'm just I've fallen away. I don't, I don't know that I could even come back to it. Um, I still hold on to hope that there, you know, just just because of that, he's he leaves the ninety nine to chase the one sheep. I think that that's valid. Um, so I I would rather hold on to hope, and I would rather you know that God wants a relationship with you. It's a tough message, and again, I'm I'm asking you to um, seek it out for yourself, and. I no judgment as far as whether or not you accept God right now or whether or not you accept Jesus. No judgment. Look, if you're out there and you're going, I don't know about this stuff, man. I don't know. Um, I'm holding tight to the fact that, um, and I'm believing that God will reveal Himself to you, no matter where you're at. He'll meet you at your need. He'll meet you where you are. Look, if He ate with the tax collectors and the sinners and all that stuff, and um. If, if he's willing to do that, if he's willing to to leave the ninety nine to get the one, I I I believe I believe in that for you. I believe that he will reveal himself to you in in one day, and and I'm praying that for you. Um, but for the rest of us who who need to know, I guess. I want to say this, that we are pillars in the temple of God. And if we're not careful, we can let that mystery, that spirit of the lawlessness come in. And just like Adam, we could fail at guarding the garden from the outside influence. Because there is a, there's a serpent, and he's crafty, and he wants to come in, and he wants to, to tell you false things. He wants to tell you false things that aren't true to get you to think, well, this isn't real over here. Or, you know, again, just like he did Eve. You mean to tell me you can eat from any fruit in the tree of this garden, you're not going to die? Well, yeah, any but this one. Come on. You can eat from any fruit in the tree in this garden and not die. And you think that you, you're going to die by eating this one fruit right over here? Ah, oh, good point. Well, no, not good point. Because 
There's something about that fruit. You know, God knows, and he was trying to protect. But Satan's trying to destroy. So what is it in your life that Satan's trying to destroy? What is it that he's come in? He's told you a lie about, and you know it. I think deep down you know it, that he's told me a lie. I've been bought and sold a lie. And here I am, I've eaten from a wrong fruit. Because God can restore you. I don't care where you're at. God can restore you. God can restore you. God can restore you. He wants to have that relationship with you. God can restore you. I don't care what you've done. God can restore you. I just pray that you would see it. I pray that you would experience that. And I pray that you would guard your heart if you're out there listening and you go, well, I am a believer, and, and, and you know, he has forgiven me. And then I pray that you guard your heart. I pray that you guard the garden. I pray that you don't allow outside influence to come in. We are in tough times, and I'm not sure how far off we are with this man of lawlessness thing. And um, I know the end result, and if we fall away from the power of the Holy Spirit, if we fall away from the, the relationship with the one true God— we chase after this lawlessness, then we're in trouble. And it's not going to be good. So that's my prayer for you, is that you would guard your garden. Guard your garden. Tend to it. You know, build it with faith. But guard it. Amen. I love you in the Lord, and I pray that one day I see you... um, we do have church service on Sunday mornings. I do apologize. If you tried to watch this past week, I do apologize that we couldn't get it the live stream up and going. We're trying to do something new where we're not only streaming to Facebook Live, but we do have some YouTube subscribers that that are interested in, in um, watching it on YouTube. And so if we can live stream to YouTube, uh, it'll be better. Uh, but But also staying on Facebook Live. So we're, we've got it to where we can multi-stream, so we can stream to Facebook and we can stream to YouTube. And last Sunday was the first Sunday try, trying it, and for whatever reason, we just couldn't get it. Um, we tried and tried, but I do want you to know that we are working on it, and, and we want to have that available to you. So if you can't make it to church on a Sunday morning at 930 Definitely hope tune into Facebook Live. We're going to make sure that we do our best to get that up and going. Um, also, YouTube, you can watch that. Hopefully, we can get that live streaming to YouTube as well. Um, either way, I hope to see you, and I hope you have a blessed week this week. I hope that God reveals himself to you in some mighty way. And again, I look forward to hearing from you.